edition of No So Network. This time we are here for the 2021 end of the year party. This time around, I have two special guests with me. One being Mike Eller, two being Mike Rossi. Mike and Mike, how you doing? Mike Eller first, what's up? Hey, I'm doing great, Ryan. Um, so glad to be a part of this. So uh, it's been fun kind of getting getting this all together and uh, really excited to get this going. Cool, Rossi, how are you? I'm good, man. You know, just a few days here, end of the year. I'm excited to talk about this and really think about it as we uh, turn the, the page to 2022. Yeah, so what we're here for is the end of the year, I said celebration, end of the year awards. We're going to steal the the Observer categories and kind of go through the year that was, 2021. Two guys here with me, and we're going to jump in with Mike Eller is going to do AEW. I'm going to do WWE, and Mike Rossi is kind of going to do the rest. You know, Impact, CW, New Japan, or... WWE, NXT that I don't use, or AEW that Mike doesn't use. Rossi, you got your hands full there, buddy. Hey, man, it's it's been a fun journey. I'm definitely, like, some of these I had thought a lot about, some of them I didn't. Um, so let's see where we go. Now, um, Dave has this enlistment of fucking categories going on, so we're, we're going to skip a few, and we're going to um, hamper on a lot more than others. So what we did was we ranked... All these categories, A tier, B tier, and C tier. Uh, we're going to start with the C tier and work our way up to the A tier, which is, you know, the A tier being wrestler of the year, most outstanding wrestler, feud of the year, tag team of the year, woman of the year, charisma, you know, all that, whatever. We're going to work our way up to the top, but let's start with the C tier, the less important categories, but all obviously important enough to talk about and warrant our attention. So Mike Eller. What was your best major wrestling show for AEW in 2021? So I went with AEW All Out. 2021 is my best. I went with this one just because of how much, like, all the moments that happened with it. Um, I think the wrestling may have even been better um, on full gear later in the year. But I went with this because of, you know, it was CM Punk's first first match back in over, what, seven years seven and a half years, uh, you know, you got the, with all out, you had Daniel, Brian Danielson returning. You had really cool moment with Adam Cole kind of being the tease returning. And then, then, then you get Danielson. And um, then I thought you had really awesome wrestling with maybe the, you know, the best match of the year with the young bucks versus the Lucha bros for the tag team titles. So Overall, that's why I went with that. Um, you know, I can go into even further detail, but that's my number one. Awesome, awesome. I'll go next, just so Rossi doesn't steal my pick, or I'll give Rossi, you know, more of a envelope to work with. I went with WrestleMania 37, night one and two. I'm combining them both. I also considered Crown Jewel, believe it or not. It was a very good show and everything else, but I just went with WrestleMania 37. You know, you alluded to the moments for your AEW for All Out. Now, with WrestleMania, it was like that, too. You know, the fans are back. The big intro from Vince. It's And it's WrestleMania. The best produced show of the year. It The format with the two nights was just spectacular. Much better than 33, 34, 35. Even, you know, in the empty arena, too. They kind of really laid the groundwork there with having the long WrestleManias and then throwing it into this this two night affair. They, so they were ready. They got that ready. The moments of the excellent main event: Bianca winning night, night one, Roman night two, 
the Cesaro moment, the Sheamus and Riddle match, the Lashley and Drew match. It's just hands down. I think it's personally hands down the pay-per-view of the year. And I can ramble on and on about the Bad Bunny match. It's just there's not much bad in it. Of course, you can nitpick the women's gauntlet and the the Fiend match. It, and, they, and it wasn't so offensive that it took away from the show like other years. And there was never really dull moments in my pay-per-view of the year. Rossi, what you got? All right. So I'm going to go all the way back to last January with Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, I was thinking about other shows because it really, like, I wasn't thinking about this one at first because nothing, like, really, like, jumped off the page to, like, make me remember it. But that's because New Japan, when they have big shows, like, they're always loaded with, like, five-star matches. Um, but this one had four five-star matches over two nights um, between Okada, Osprey, Naito, and Ibushi at night one. Uh, Shingo and Cobb and Ibushi and White in night two. Um, Ibushi hasn't been the same since this show. Um, he's barely wrestled the rest of the year. And it just really kick-started Osprey and, and Shingo for the rest of their year. And they really carried New Japan this year. Um, so it was really tough for me to pick anything but this show once I really dug into it and thought about it. Um, obviously, there was a lot of like big, memorable GCW shows. But you can't turn away from a, a show that had four or five stars in it. Um, two at five and a quarter and two at five flat. And there was another match that was four, seven, five with Ishimori and Hiromu. So um, can't really not include that one when we're thinking about best show of the year. Over two nights as well, but kind of like similar to your Mania one. Yeah, with the two nights, there's really no slog in the show that would bring it down. An easy way to lay everything out and get to it. So that's, you know, that's a well a forgotten about night being well over 350 days ago. And pandemic surge and whatever. Hard to remember those matches and everything, but it sounds like a fantastic show. All right, so... With the C categories, we're not going to really discuss and bring our votes together and try to make one. So we're just going to leave the C's as is and go from there. But worst major wrestling show of the year. Eller, what do you got for AEW? Well, it's easy with four of them, right? (laughs) uh, So I went with their first major show of the year, AEW Revolution, um, from back in the beginning of March. I don't think it was terrible. Like, you know, it's not like all-time bad, like, holy shit holy shit, this is like the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, you know, the Young Bucks versus MJF and Jericho for the tag titles. I had it four and a half stars. Um, got a cup, you know, the face of the revolution match was four. Wasn't, it didn't, it, it meant, well, first of all, you know, the exploding barbed wire was a disaster and it really looked bad. And, you know, there's people defending it and saying it wasn't really that bad, but I mean, it really was that bad. I mean, you were, that was like the whole sell of the pay-per-view and it did, you know, it, nothing, nothing happened. Um, and everyone kind of looked dumb because of it. And that should have been something that set your promotion up for the next couple months. And then you just had to kind of, you know, dig yourself out of a hole instead of it. Um, Scorpio Sky won the face of the revolution match. And then he got a, T, you know, a TNT title shot. And then right after that, he loses. And then Hikaru Shida versus um, Ryo Mizunami. Um, you know, Ryo Mizunami has been on AEW Dark. Like that's like, where, you know, she's wrestling on a pay-per-view and she's never really featured on Dynamite that much. Uh, it just, it didn't, you know, the fact that it was in Jacksonville and Daly's place in, a, in front of a few hundred fans didn't help either. So uh, I think that, you know, out of the four shows, that's a clear winner, clear runaway for worst show of the year. Gotcha. For me, with the WWE, I have really two to go from. One being like an actual pay-per-view and the other one kind of being like, a spectacular, would you call it? The first one being the WrestleMania Backlash 
paper. Was it really terrible? No, you, you had that excellent Strowman drew in Lashley sprint. You had, and you had that fantastic Cesaro and Roman match. So you sit, you sit, you know, you lay those two matches out there mixed in with a raw women's three way with Charlotte and Oscar and Rhea Ripley. And you're like, how is that, you know, worst pay-per-view of the year, but it kind of is, you know, but that's also a testament to how well the WWE is doing with pay-per-views or whatever you want to call them in the last few years. They they usually are very good shows. So just by necessity, a few misses, the uh, the Sheamus match wasn't fantastic. And then just the, the swing and the huge miss of Priest and Miz's <laughs> lumberjack zombie bullshit that like just shake your head and embarrassing and you're kind of like yeah that was on a show and it was seven minutes of a zombie thing and then Miz blows his ACL or whatever in the middle of it's it you know it's hard to that just brings down a lot of what was pretty decent to close the show and then the other one would be the the WWE Superstar Spectacular, the, the the mixed of Raw, SmackDown, and NXT with the you know the future Indian stars that 80% of them have been released <laughs> right now, and um, there's really just not much to it. It's just like a fluff show, and WWE at its worst, where it's hyping up prosperity and goodwill and really just bad, bad corporate bullshit that they throw down your throat for three hours. And there was, you know, there was a lot of that too with the WrestleMania backlash and then just the, the backlash thing, throwing the WrestleMania name in it just to get the extra spike is just like a fuck you too. So those were my two worst shows of the year. Rossi, what you got? So, I mean, it's, it's tough for me to pick here with, because you're pretty much looking at new Japan, big shows and like MLW pay-per-views and impact pay-per-views and, and here's the deal. Those guys build three months around one of their big shows. So they, they have the energy to do things that WWE and AEW can't. So nothing's really ever terrible. Nothing's ever really great either, though. Um, so and then indies, there's a million indies um, and they, they do some that are big shows, some that aren't. So it's tough to really say anything there is bad. Um, and New Japan doesn't have bad shows. So I was just going to kind of piggyback off the revolution a little bit with revolution. It wasn't to me that the show was bad as much as it was disappointing. You look at the Christian debut. That was everybody was hyping that up as something that might have come later in the year with Punk or some other possibilities. That well, were that's out Tony there at the time. fault too. <laughs> you know exactly. Like the way that he announced that kind of set them up for failure um, with that whole thing. And then you take into account that then they had a mystery person in the uh, ladder match. And it was Ethan Page who is known to a good amount of the crowd, but he was not an overwhelming choice for a pay-per-view debut. Um, and then you go to the end of the year, end of the match with, or end of the show with the uh, Moxley exploding ring, ring match, just defined disappointment. Like it was a cool match up until the explosions happened, which just left the lasting memory. So to me, I, and I agree there that that was my worst major show of the year because it was the most disappointing major show of the year. Um, and, you know, I kind of felt like that was when AEW was really starting to get tied down from being in Daly's place. And they kind of took off from there um, because they kind of found their new energy shortly after that. But that one was a black hole in the year for me. For sure. Just to give a little history here, the worst show of the year for the last three years have been WWE Crown Jewel or WWE. It's pretty much sweet, sweet Saudi money has <laughs> the worst show of the year voted by the Observer Award. And the best show of the year have been for 2020 Revolution, 2019 Double or Nothing, and then 2018 was Dominion. 
and then Wrestle Kingdom for the last, you know, 9, 10, and 11 for the last three years prior. So very, very smarky heavy, which is fine. You know, of course, you know, look at the audience, <laughs> which is fine. I'm sure those shows are very warranted. I know Revolution was great and Double or Nothing was, you know, really, you know, groundbreaking. And But um, our next category is going to be best in worst weekly TV show. Mike, let's have let's hear them both. Let's kind of get these together so we can move a little quicker. Yeah, for sure. So best TV show far and away with AEW, it's AEW Dynamite. Even it just like every week, and I'm not saying absolutely every week, but almost every week you're getting like a four star match. The television's very compelling. It always feels like it takes, you know, a two hour show goes, you know, takes it feels like it one a half hour. It they've just done they've done such a really good job, especially since you know as Mike kind of talked about earlier when they got they finally got on the road um, and got out of Daly's place. Just the crowds are on fire for the shows, um, especially when Danielson has started to show up. It's just been such a blast, and it's been the most fun I've had watching wrestling in a really long time. In terms of the worst, (laughs) so I had to go with one of the AEW Dark shows, um, Dark Elevation, or just, you know, standard AEW Dark. And I went with AEW Dark because Elevation is usually about 30, 35, 40 minutes. You're in, you're out. Dark is, like, sometimes, like, an hour and a half, two hours. And that just gets to be a little bit too much. And it's like squash match, squash match, squash match, squash match, squash match. It it just, you know, after a while you just get tired of it. So uh, that's why I went with my worst. Yeah. um, I'll go next. My best show of the year for WWE is SmackDown. You know, you just have the Roman story hovering around it. You know, you, you can make some criticisms that if you take roaming out, you know, what is there? There's nothing, but it's also a two hour show and Roman dominates about you know 25 percent of that show it's some of the best tv that they've done in years and can't take it away so you know whatever and then you've got a tag team division you know throughout the year that is pretty much now the raw tag team division but you know usos do great work street profits dirty dogs alpha academy those guys usually mysterios those teams are usually out there with good filler matches the ic belt has been you know disappointing but you know, the mid card has been fun, especially led with Sami Zayn throughout the year for the most part. And then now you throw in Drew now. Drew is getting rebuilt for a strong 2020, as I assume. And I don't even want to say rebuilt, just kind of re, you know, fresh coat of paint on him, whatever. And they've done, done a good job since Drew moved over in the draft of getting him ready for 2022. And then, you know, all the Kevin, Kevin Owens stuff and Rollins and Edge stuff through the summer. SmackDown is easily my show of the year for WWE, and my worst weekly TV show is, I guess you gotta say Raw, three hours, uh, filler, repat, repeat, you know, if you tightened it up for a two-hour show, would it be a lot better? Obviously. If I was to vote this worst show of the year based off three hours, you kinda have to. Yeah, you can make a lot of bullshit. Drew got a little dry. Lashley was a little played out. Towards the end, Biggie has been fi- good. I don't want to say fine because it's been better. Biggie's been good, but it's not, you know, maybe as earth shaking as they would hope. And then, it, you know, every week it's going against Monday Night Football. So it's obviously you get in half the attention. So, but it's also has some great things. Riddle's been great for the most part all year. Sheamus crushed it earlier in the year. Um, Drew was sneaky good, even though he was, you know, people were sick of him. And then you got Becky, 
and Bianca doing good things. You had Charlotte doing, you know, kind of reworking her promo style and look and everything. And it was hit and miss. Just, it's really not as bad as people say it is, but there's no way in hell that it's anywhere good or watchable for the most part. And that's back to the three hours. But if I did have to have a vote, I would go dark just because of what off Mike said. And for a while, at the beginning of the year, it was hovering around two hours plus of squash matches in just bad commentary and ugh, like unwatchable stuff. So I would vote dark just by those details. And I would say 205 Live just because it's totally fallen off a cliff where it was a really watchable show. And now it's just main event for NXT. Rossi, what do you got for your best and worst TV shows of the year? So for worse for me is just me more like wanting to bash a promotion and that would be MLW. So they have a weekly show that they put up on YouTube or I think there's like, you might be able to watch it on fight. Um, just, I mean, so if I, if I look at MLW's roster right now, these are their champions. Alexander Hammerstone's their world champion. Alex Kane is their national open weight champion. Their tag champs are a team that's called five, one, five, that's Danny Rivera and slice boogie and middleweight champion is Tajiri. Why would I want to watch their show when those are the champions? Because I, I have no no reason to be invested in them. They're not impact people. They're not people that are going to move a needle. And here's the deal. You've got to stand out if you're a promotion that's with the amount of good wrestling that's out there now. And MLW can be much better than they are. They're just not. Um, and that's unfortunate because they're kind of in a good spot right now that they could be spending some money on some up-and-coming people that get, you know, canned from WWE or maybe when AEW starts letting people go. But ultimately, they're just not going to. They they make the wrong decisions. And if anything they do, they set people up to get signed away for other other places. And that's not really a way to make your business really float anymore. Um, so I, I hated most of what I saw from them this year, which was little um, because they gave me no reason to watch the rest of it. And that's pretty much what I have with that as far as best goes. I mean, I want to say NXT because I'm technically have NXT under my jurisdiction here. Um, but um, I also want to give a shout to Impact because I feel like they kind of turned the corner a little bit with bringing in some of the New Japan guys. They put an effort in at improving their programming. So where MLW kind of stays underground and kind of doesn't give you the reason to watch, Impact has really tried to get some people to come their way. Like getting the Iconics over to them was big. Um, getting Kenny Omega as their champion and then Christian for a bit, all while building Josh Alexander up. And they did a lot of that in their weekly TV. Um, it's tough to really say that they were the best overall show, but when you watched it week to week, they probably were the most consistent because everything they did made sense. It had storytelling to it. Some of their, and most of their major pay-per-views delivered. I mean, nothing was blow away. It's still impact, but I do think that it's programming that is in a much better place now than it was two, three years ago. And, you know, you can sit down and have a good time watching it, even if you don't watch it every week. Um, so I do think that I, you know, I want to say NXT because technically NXT are the ones that have had the better overall show. But I kind of want to give Impact the bone here because I feel like they had a pretty successful year considering all the circumstances with COVID and everything. And they kind of turned the table. I mean, they're still not a super profitable company, but they they gave you more reasons to seek out their stuff this year than they had in prior years. And I just kind of want to give them a show for that. Now, Mike, real quick, if you, if you could have dipped into Dynamite, SmackDown, Raw or whatever, which way you would have gone? I mean, I would have definitely said Dynamite was the best show of the year. Um, like consistent weekly programming. SmackDown is a very good program to follow characters grow and like build towards major matches. 
but they don't really have many major matches on their programming. They have this year a few times, like Reigns and Mysterio and the Hell in a Cell, and pretty much any time Reigns is a singles match. I think he had a match with Brian on one of them leading up yeah. to um, mm-hmm. Mania. Um, there's There's been some really good weeks on it, and but it's a show that is kind of an advertising avenue for them to get to their bigger shows and have a little bit of squash matches here and there. It's I went a, to one yeah. in... I went to one in November um, in uh, Hartford, and it was jarring to me how little wrestling there was. It just didn't really enter the front of my brain until I was there at a live show. Good time. You know, it's still a WWE show. It's still big entertainment. There's still like, good promos and entrances. That's why you go. Um, I don't go to WWE shows to see 10-star matches. Um, but it just it was kind of jarring, the little the little matches there, storytelling. Uh, so I like, I like SmackDown for what it is, but the better weekly show is Dynamite. And worst weekly show... Um, I still got to say raw pretty much them all the points you were saying. It's just too much. If if they give me something good every week that isn't the same match week after week, maybe I would watch it more. I hear you. Uh, it's just, but it's, it's just like, you know, formula. you turn it on and you see little things here and there. It just doesn't work. It is it's too formulaic. Um, you never know when something big is going to happen on the show, when they could do it at the start of the first hour, the start of the second hour, the end. Um, so you never really know when to tune in, which sometimes is good. But I like my episodic wrestling to kind of make sense more than they do on a weekly basis. Well, speaking of episodic, they, you know, WWE, like you said, the WWE are not going to give away matches on a very rare basis. On SmackDown, they're going to build towards the big pay-per-view each month. And AEW has a big pay-per-view every 12 weeks. You know what I mean? So it's a little different. And AEW is a fresher show because you have... A, it's a brand new promotion for the most part and you have so many open-ended feuds and the wwe has been around for forever and they do whatever but yeah it's it's yeah. really it's really two different universes i don't want to say that but you got it's two different worlds really because that's why i wanted to do a AEW side a wwe side and then you know a third guy to kind of blend them together and just kind of whatever so i just wanted to use that as an example to kind of get to where we're going the next C category we have is worst match of the year. Mike Eller, what do you got for worst match of the year? So we're going way back in 2021, all the way back to January. I mean, not even a year ago, but anyhow. Um, I went with, I uh, hate to keep dunking on Akara Shida, but um, her versus Abaddon for the AEW Women's title from um, AEW New Year's Smash Night 1. Um, so that was January 6, 2021. And I think that she does good. Like, I think she's a, I think she's a solid wrestler. Like, I think that, um, you know, she had, but she's had decent matches throughout the year. I don't call, I wouldn't call her great. Um, I think that she was at that point out of the three champions that they had with um, Nyla Rose and um, Riho, she was definitely the best. And she kind of got shortchanged, you know, the fact that she was in the pandemic for all of her title reign. New Year's night, New Year's Smash Night One um, and Night Two. It was like it, you know, obviously it wasn't a pay per view, but they they had, I mean, it was pretty, it was a pretty well built show. Um, you know, you had Omega versus Phoenix for the title, and they put an Abaddon there. Um, and I think that might, I don't know if that speaks more to the division, the AW Women's Division as a whole, up until maybe kind of, you know, the last couple months. Uh, but they put Abaddon in there and they just had this weird, awkward match. I, Abaddon, I don't, you know, her supernatural character or whatever she's supposed to be. It just didn't work with Sheeta. It just like, I was just watching him like, why, like, you know, why this should have been like something like maybe promoted on like, you know, again, eight up, like maybe like a main event on AW dark or something like that. Um, to put it on TV was a mistake. And Abaddon really, after that, 
wasn't hasn't really been a player at all for them at, um, throughout 2021 when you maybe thought she had something going on for her. So uh, that that wins my worst match of the year. Cool. So my worst match of the year is I have three nominees. <laughs> I have Lashley Goldberg, probably the worst worked rate match of the year from SummerSlam. I have the Fiend versus Orton WrestleMania 37 as kind of the wor- the most like grown inducing. But then I have the absolute worst of like Miz versus Priest at Backlash WrestleMania Backlash the zombie and I just write zombies like the god awful worst shit ever like that's just embarrassment the the Fiend and Orton stuff is somewhat embarrassing but like the zombie shit is for the most part embarrassing it's those kind of just WWE at its worst and I'm gonna go with the zombie bullshit <laughs> move on worse my can I intercept. Go Can ahead. I intercept for you real quick? What about the Battle Royal Pizza Party at Survivor Series? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty horrendous. The way that, that, that him and that um, Omos and Shanky were trying to eliminate somebody. I forget who it was. No, that, that was, was bad. They were just like each grabbing a limb. And the Street Profits lose, and but they go out winning and just whipping pizza into the crowd. So that was bad, but I can't. There wasn't. I just had to throw that out there. There wasn't 10 developmental guys in zombie costumes eating a guy's leg. The Miz tears his ACL in the middle of the match. <laughs> so it's like, <sighs> what are we doing here? Rossi, what do you got? Yeah, and most of those guys are now not employed by WWE anymore either. Worst match of the year. So I'm going to kind of take a dig here at uh, my boy, my good old boy Bob in Worcester. Um, worst match of the year. So I think about a lot. I watch a lot of bad wrestling, guys. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I watch a lot of indie wrestling. I watch a lot of... You know, quote unquote shit. I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, so I'm kind of numb to bad matches. I actually would would pick out some of these that I've watched on like a major show as like worse a lot of times. But sometimes you see something so bad that it just jars you and it makes you think about it. And this one was the first category I filled out because I remember this match like it was yesterday and it was just so bad. Um, so back to a July um, show in um, for Women's Wrestling Revolution, which was Beyond Wrestling's like kind of sister promotion. They ran a match with Skyler, who had first come back for the first time in maybe a year and a half, and Veda Scott. This was eight minutes of just chaotic bad wrestling, like just missed spots, loud talking to each other. And it became something the crowd got got hot for because Skyler's return and Veda Scott's kind of a big name. This is a match that is so bad, you have to go back and watch it. It's it's available on independentwrestling.tv. Um, you've got to go back and watch it and just like you're going to giggle at it. Like I even think the two girls were like giggling at how bad it became as the as the night went on. It was just bad. Um, and, you know, Veda Scott as a wrestler is not the greatest piece of work that there is out there. But this really, you know, makes you want to kind of seek out her matches as more of like a comedy act moving forward than anything else. And it's too bad. Um, but everybody needs to go watch this match and, and you're going to get you a chuckle a date out of for it. that, Mike. It's July. Um, July 18th for a WWR show show called Pain for Pleasure. Um, I think it might have even opened the show. Um, it didn't open the show. It was like third in, but it was so bad. Um, you really got to seek it out. I remember you telling me that back in July. I still haven't watched it. I have to now. You got her. It's 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 really bad. And like I like like both of them most mostly. So I feel bad saying it, but uh, you got to get call a spade a spade sometimes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to checking it out. <laughs> Now, is that all you have, Mike, or do you have any other uh, worthy participants? Yeah, that's all I had, because um, like I said, same thing. I got to pick the one thing that jumps out at me the most. Like, there was really nothing majorly bad on, like, Impact pay-per-views or, you know, GCW had a couple screwy things, but, I mean, it's GCW, you know, they're going to have some screwy things on every show, you know? 
Now, do those matches live up to the hi- to the hype of previous worst matches of the year? 2020, Braun Strowman versus The Fiend in the Wyatt Swamp fight. Uh, 2019, Hell in the Cell, Seth Rollins versus The Fiend. Uh, 2018, oh, this is sad. DX versus Brothers of Destruction from Crown Jewel. 2017, Randy Orton versus Bray Wyatt. I see a theme here. 20, uh, WrestleMania 33 with the fucking crickets. And then... Um, 2016, Shelly Martinez versus Reba, or Rebel, however you want to say it. From uh, Shelly Martinez. Shelly Martinez and Rebel is the worst work. match ever. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, worked-wise by far. I mean, but it, it the didn't best, even look like... But you have to look that up with um, Brian Alvarez doing commentary on YouTube. Like, I you can just look idea. up Rebel, because it's him talking about the match as it's going on. It is like two minutes of just gold. Well, if you, you can't have a worst match of the year without a worst feud of the year. Ella, what do you got for worst feud of the year for 2021? Aiden. All right. So I'm going back earlier in the year again. And this is something like, like I mean, nothing really makes me hot about it. Like, you know, it gets me mad. But, like, the thing, it just kind of bored me to tears. Um, Miro being Kip Sabian's best man for when he was getting married and then feuding with Orange Cassidy. Um, I like Orange Cassidy. I thought he was fine in this. Uh, you know, I know I, he can, Cassidy can be kind of, you know, either you really, really like him or really don't like him. I feel like a lot of times I think he's, I like him with Miro though. I, I love what he's doing now, or maybe had been doing like up until he lost the TNT title, but pairing him with Kip Sabian was really awkward. Um, Sabian, I, I think sucks. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, most of these guys that AEW brings in, I think are either good or get better. Um, and I hope, you know, Sabian has a recovery, a good recovery. He's just not that good in the ring. He is that wedding ceremony was really, really awkward. Um, I know I said awkward like a hundred times, but he, he, he just doesn't have the charisma to get, he didn't have the charisma to get that over. And Miro did his best to get it over, but, um, the sooner that angle was over the better. And I mean, there's times where I would like you know, change the channel um, just to, you know, if there was a game on or whatever, I was, if, and these guys were going around the TV, I'm like, all right, I can't deal with this anymore. So that, that one's my worst feud of the year. All right. My worst feud of the year is plain and simple. Shane McMahon versus Braun Strowman. It was stupid, pun intended. I personally think it probably got Braun fired. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't want to, the match at WrestleMania, the cage match was actually kind of all right because the expectations were so low coming off this God awful feud. This is like peak Thunderdome of like, oh, we're in the fucking Thunderdome. And then it just felt like every week Shane would come out and just berate Braun. It feels like it was Vince and Bruce and Johnny Ace and the all their clicks message to Braun to be like, hey, you're not as good as you think or get your shit together or you're overpaid, overvalued over what. And I just think that that was it. And then. They put Braun over at WrestleMania, you know, no harm, no foul. What he, They kind of had to about how dumb and stupid they made him look. And then they did really nothing with him after that. They put him in the three-way to ex- at Backlash WrestleMania. It was a very good match, to ex- but just to extend the Drew and Lashley feud. So it didn't really even lead to anything. It led to Braun getting fired three months later. Um, it's easily the worst feud of the year for me for the WWE. Rossi, what you got? All green right, so, slime, fucking green slime too. Rossi, continue. 
green slime. Oh yeah, that was that was real bad. I'm with you on that. I mean, it would be it would have been hilarious if uh, Braun lost at Mania and then got fired like the next week. Um, so Matt Taven versus Vincent in ROH. Um, now let me kind of go back to this a little bit. This thing started in the end of 2019 um, when the Kingdom broke up and Vincent turned on him and established his own stable with um, like Bateman and uh, ended up being like later on um vita von star um the, they were heel stable in roh and matt taven was the babyface foil to them after he got his back turned on vincent and honestly like 2020 happened and kind of stopped the feud then its tracks because of covid um i mean back and then back in june they shot some stuff during um 2020 and the pandemic with um vincent entering taven's home and assaulting him while he was participating in a facebook live q a um and then vincent would target taven's surgically repaired right ankle and then they went into 2020 in October, um, and then they started to, you know, Taven returned and attacked him at like an ROH taping, and it just continued and continued. Um, grudge match in the 2020. So then they, the end of 2020, this looks like when Bennett comes back, runs off Vincent, it seems like the end of the feud. No, 2021 comes in, and they literally feud for another seven months um, and only really exclusively wrestled each other, whether it was in six-mans or tag matches. They really just went way too long with this, and I personally think it really slowed down Matt Taven's momentum as he, you know, becomes a free agent now um, and, you know, might have future opportunities. Vincent, not a great wrestler. He's a local guy here, um, but he's become a pretty good personality. He's actually working some beyond now, um, and I've actually kind of enjoyed his work there so far. Um, But to kind of just show that ROH was so deeply invested in this feud, but they really didn't care about it at the same time, they did a pay-per-view in July when they didn't even have a match. Um, They they just had, like, like pre-recorded promos. Um, this was their first pay-per-view back with fans, and they just didn't give a shit about this feud enough to even put it on that pay-per-view. And then they ran an entire, like, World 4 world title shot steel cage main event at the ECW Arena in August, which was the last stand. Vincent beat him at that point and then to get a title shot, and then it never even happened. Now the company's basically out of business. So I, I think that this was a feud that was a huge misstep. It kind of took two guys that they could have done interesting stuff with and just kept them away like away from everybody else and suck with each other. And it didn't help either of their profiles long term. And I definitely don't think it helped ROH as their programming just fell off a cliff in the last six months. Mike, I said I'll go watch your worst match of the year. I'm not watching watching that feud. Don't. And, and the, what, what sucked about it is it was cool and it had a cool ending at the end of 2020. And then they just continued bearing it into our throwing it in our faces and it just didn't work out so, you did like a good job of explaining it but i like got tired hearing about that <laughs> <laughs> that's what i mean it was just it was the biggest misstep for roh this year was that they continued that feud and didn't get more out of taven in particular um during you know their return to fans and, and this fans didn't give a shit about this and it kind of hurt taven as a whole uh yeah i i can only imagine how many people actually watched that <laughs> to be truthful, you know, it's kind of curious because most of that stuff's Honor Club or syndicated TV, right? Yeah, Honor Club, which you can do like five, like 10 bucks a month now and get all their pay-per-views. I mean, when they were an active company. Um, but, but with so like, much active wrestling, who's really watching that? Yeah, like I mostly watched their pay-per-views and like stayed like in tune. If like something cool happened, I'd like watch it because they were on YouTube. Um, yeah. So, I mean, God only knows what channel they're on anywhere. But, um, I mean, they did a lot of cool stuff this year. Like, I'll talk about a lot of their people later, but uh, this just wasn't it. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so history-wise, this has been a few of the worst feuds of the year. 2020, Braun Strowman versus The Fiend. 2019, Seth Rollins versus The Fiend. 2018, Sasha Banks versus Bayley. Real quick, is that just because it was so herky-jerky, so back and forth in this with no direction? Because Alvarez just about so. it each week? Because Alvarez 
you know, mind fucked everyone and bitched about it. And just went too long and never really had purpose. Like they weren't really like yeah, the centerpiece the... of programming at that point. Yeah, I was just gonna say because it was the mid card and they couldn't fucking decide what they wanted to do. So I, that they don't deserve that. Anyways, Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton, and then this one was pretty funny too. Twenty sixteen, Titus O'Neil versus Darren Young. Like, what are we doing? Like, like twenty sixteen. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that was worst feud of the year for twenty sixteen. So let me just spoiler: twenty sixteen probably wasn't that bad if that was your worst feud or. What are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, another good one is 2019 Hornswoggle versus Chavo. I probably agree with that. 2017 Big Daddy V versus Kane. Is that like ECW? <laughs> like, what are we doing? And oh, man. 2016, the McMahons versus DX. That's not a terrible feud. It was just, come on. It, that, that ages well. Like I mean, we, Shawn Michaels and God. I mean, yeah, that was... Like, that's not worst feud. We're just reaching here, like on a few of these things. Two thousand one, Alliance versus WWF, like whatever. But yeah, twenty. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty much been WWE since two thousand one. It and seems it, like a lot of that is just people that are disappointed in like something not happening better than it should have been. Yeah, but you mean to tell me Impact is the worst TV show for half of those years, and that they're, they're none of their feuds? It's just. Ah, it's just bias is how I look at it with this site. But wait, I, I enjoy the site and it's just whatever. But uh, I'm actually curious what is going to win that this year because, one, they're not going to vote AEW having the worst feud. And two, are they going to really remember this Braun and Shane thing? Or what is, like, what is worst feud? I'm curious this year. That should be very interesting to see come February. What would you think like the biggest disappointment was in WWE then? Um, For like, a feud that could have been better. I don't know. Do you have one? Maybe Rhea and Asuka? I, that popped in my head, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah, and observer v- voters won't remember it. It's too small. But then again, Big Daddy V and Kane. All right, so we have three more C categories. Let's kind of just like lump, lump them together. Actually, real quick, um, we can't really vote on promotion of the year or worst promotion of the year because I'm one WWE, Mike's AEW. And Rossi, you're kind of everywhere, so I guess you could answer it, but... I'll give you a quick answer on it. MLW, worst promotion of the year. (laughs) That's what Um, I was going to say. GCW, best promotion of the year, because of where they grew from January on. I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but um, GCW was a promotion that was running a fucking telethon in January last year with no fans. um, And to the point that they're starting 2022 selling out Hammerstein Ballroom. Um, so, I mean, you can't go from having, you know, pretty much the floor when you're literally losing money to run a show, um, versus, you know, selling out Hammerstein, which I don't even know that, you know, WWE would, would quick sell out Hammerstein at this point. I, I agree. That's, that's pretty cool. I'm very curious what we'll get this. I wonder if, but I, here's the thing. I wonder if there's enough people that will vote for GCW because they won't vote for AEW. This, this promotion, I mean, it's mm-hmm. going to be AEW. You know, it's been a very, very good year for AEW, and there's, you know, there's new coat of paint on this promotion still. So, if there's any ever any shit, they're not going to really get it, kind of. Yeah, New Japan wasn't strong enough to overtake them. um, I think in the in like the grand scheme of like a New Japan, it was a disappointing New Japan year by comparison to like some of their prior years. Yeah. So like have the it factor. I don't, I don't know if it factor is like the, the right thing, but just like I don't know, like it just it didn't have like the feel, I guess. Nothing's fresh. Nothing's fresh with New Japan anymore. It's like every match that they can run you've seen before. Um, I mean, Jeff Cobb's kind of jumping up in that picture now to kind of have the fresh matches. 
Um, but he had most of them this year in the G1, so it kind of sapped that. But back back then, you might have had like Osprey almost got a, hurt too, man. Yeah, Osprey was hurt, and then he was in the states, and now they've got to worry about building up the states too, or else maybe you'd have a guy like Moxley over there more than they did. Brian would have been there already. When the world's better again, New Japan's going to take off again because these guys that haven't been able to because they were in WWE are going to go work a program over there. Um, but at the point we're at now, it just isn't going to be something that makes sense. Um, and I was for just going to gonna say, and I was just going to say, by the news the last few weeks, it's not going to even get any better anytime soon, unfortunately, with the whole pandemic and stuff. No, there's wrestlers. There was a wrestler that was supposed to leave um, Japan like this week to come to work the new year's gcw shows and stay around for january with all their big shows and he couldn't even get there he's not even allowed to leave now so he has to stay there Dang. so the worst promotion of the year uh 2020 2019 and 2018 have been wwe and then 2017 2007 was total nonstop action so uh, <laughs> wow. and then 2004 and 5 is new japan worst 2006 WWE, fuck you. Right. WWE was good in 2006. But actually, Impact was really good in 2006, too, so that's probably why. And then 2002, XPW, Extreme Pro Wrestling. <laughs> oh, boy. But um, but the best has been AEW the last two years, and then NJPW before that for forever. Mike, do you have any opinions on best and worst? I'm going to probably say AEW, um, you know, in terms of worst, I, I don't, I don't think any, but like, I don't watch MLW. Mike brought, Rossi brought up a lot of great points there, but I don't really, like, I don't want to knock somebody just to knock somebody. Like if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I hear you. It's, it's hard for me to say WWE is the worst when there's so many out there that people don't watch, but WWE might be the most disappointing voted on by these observer readers, but I can see. At, I could see NXT getting a lot I of was hatred. Just, I was just going to say that hatred might skew to NXT just because of the rebrand. But uh, it's, I still don't think it should be NXT. But if you look at WWE's catalog of stuff, you take out all the video packages, all the the same Raw matches and all that stuff, and you look at just the pay-per-views, it's hard to say that's the, that's the worst promotion of the year. You look at the catalog, it's very good. I get, I get it. It's not even worth arguing over because it's going to be WWE. It could be the, it could be NXT if because NXT won best, so they are looked at differently. And that would be interesting to look at come February. Promoter of the year. Um, what's the difference between promoter and Booker? Because when when you say Booker, it seems subjective to me. It seems like who's writing the best stories, who's writing the best angles. The direction of the promotion, which is usually pretty good between both WWE and really good with AEW. So promote, uh, Booker of the Year is kind of subjective. But when you say promoter of the year, promoter promotion means money. Like I think dollar signs. I think pay-per-view buys. I think Peacock prescriptions. Uh, I think, you know, merchandise. I think all the shit that they throw down your throat. That's when I think promotion. I think money. So why is this still two things? And how is not promotion of the year Dana White with all his pay-per-view buys and every Saturday night having a big to very big UFC? Even though I'm not a huge UFC guy, but how is it not Dana every year? 
No, it's true. And and I, I kind of feel like this was one that I was really only going to be the one to answer on anyways, because you guys have like, what are you going to say, Vince McMahon? Are you going to start talking about like, like who wrote SmackDown as the booker? Like, that's the thing, because everything goes yeah. through Vince anyways. So, so I have, like my best booker is Paul Heyman because of the I assume he's writing most of the Roman stuff. <laughs> that's that's all. That's the only reason why. Yeah. And then like, LA, I want Tony Khan. Yeah. You get Tony Khan, Tony yeah. Khan. Like, how do you not do it? You know? Yeah, that's why this is a C category. We don't really talk about it. But who do you got, Rossi? I'm actually kind of curious. So, so the way I looked at it was Booker was the one that makes matches, and then the promoter was the guy that kind of oversees everything. Um, so I put Ghetto for best Booker because I feel like given the landscape he's had with, with um, New Japan, he's done a good enough job to make the show seem interesting. Um, you know, make still make people, you know, want to get up at five in the morning to watch their pay-per-views. Not as much as it used to be, again, because it's, it's impossible to be as good as they used to be. But I still think he did a really good job given the canvas that he had to kind of put work out there that was going to be, you know, beneficial to what they had available to them. Um, and I mean, this is me, like, I could give a shout to the people in stardom in, in Japan as well, because they kind of did the same idea. Um, but it's tough to be in Japan without fans. Um, they're, they're a quiet fan base as it is. And they can't clap or do anything exciting at these shows and they have to sit there with masks and it's like a half crowd. So he's had a lot in his face and he still put out, put together a ton of great matches and a great G1. So I had to give the, him the bone there. And then promoter of the year, I said, Brett Lauderdale with GCW beat again because of where we were a year ago to where they are now. Um, if we, if we put money there, like, yeah, obviously there's other places making more money than, than Brett Lauderdale is. Um, none of them are really making more based off where they were this time last year. And I think that, um, you know, he's really turned the volume up and become that like C brand in the United States. Um, and he starts starting to feel more like ECW every day. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, he's going to continue to be able to build on as, you know, 2022 gets hot as he starts to build towards like spring break break and uh, mania weekend. He's got a really good opportunity here to, you know, with Cardona, with Chelsea now. I mean, that's going to draw people that might leave WWE and say, hey, I should maybe go work a little indie run and turn my, my life yeah. around. Um, so I think that he's got a really good opportunity in the next six months to really blow this thing up. And I mean, this Hammerstein show in itself, and then now you throw the ROH people in his lap, he's got Gresham and the ROH title at Hammerstein. I mean, he can have an awesome year and, you know, he could win this again next year based on where he goes from here, or he could lose it next year with where he goes from here. So it'll be very interesting, but to get him to where he's been now, you got to give him the bone here. I know it's just like a totally different landscape because if you say moving pieces and landscape and growth and all that stuff, I don't want to fucking say it like because I can't say it with a straight face. But how is it fucking not Vince? Look at what he's grown into. Like, look at the deals he's getting. Look at all this. He's on like totally different levels of everybody. And he's still kicking. He's still moving. But, I, you know, I can't say it with a straight face. So this is totally like a is this a dead category? Should they just totally boot it if it's not Dana every year? And then how do they give it to Tony Khan? Wonder, go ahead. I just was going to say, like, I think, like, do you think, like, it was, like, kind of designed to pit it like Vince Dana, like that type of thing? And then it just, or, you know, when there's way more promoters and, like, they weren't as, e like, like the, Vince just wasn't, you know, had both billions and billions of dollars. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it might just, like, not be a category that makes sense anymore. So this it started in 1988 and it was Vince. Right. So you think Vince WrestleMania okay. four, the you know, Vince with the main, this is 1988. So think of the big main event with DiBiase, the two referees, all that stuff. And then leading into the four pay-per-views, you have four big monster pay-per-views in 1988. I can get why it's Vince. And then you have, um, 
in the early 90s, you have Baba with All Japan, uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling, and then you got Ricky Choshu in the mid-90s with New Japan, and then back with Vince in 98 to 2000 with the boom, right? And then you got a few, and then you start mixing in with the, uh, you got Tony Anoki, <laughs> Anoki in 2001. There's your boy, Rossi, a little shout out there. And then you start mixing in. He should, uh, he should run New Japan still. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Meme with the Anoki uh, over there, Rossi. Don't sleep on it. Um, and then in the you know, 2005 to 2013 is Dana White, U- Ultimate Fighting Championship, UFC. Um, this is when they boom every year. They're bigger, bigger, bigger. You know, Brock, Ronda, whatever. And then it's, you know, back to – and then 2014, New Japan, and then back to Dana, and then back to New Japan, and then now back to Tony Khan. But – this is where I get confused, where it's like, how is Tony Khan booker and promoter? Like, what's he promoting? You know, like, that's kind of the whole thing. I, that's where I don't get it. And that's where I was like, the whole the whole bias thing kind of kicks me in the ass, where it's just like, all right, booker, sure. He's done a great job. He's had a fresh slate, and he's crushed it. But, like, what's he promoting when they're in the red every fucking year, they say? You know, like, so that's where it's just kind of it gets a bad, you know, this, these awards get a bad name and Meltzer gets a bad name and even Khan gets a bad name, but it's hard to defend when, you know, you lay all that out. So I don't know. Is it, is it a dead category? Probably. I don't know. I just think money when I see it, but anyways, let's move on to the B categories with the B categories. We'll have a little more give and take with it, but, uh, with the B categories, let's start with speaking of money box office drawer of the year, Mike Eller. AEW's box office draw. Who you got? Uh, this is one I really struggled on because he wasn't there for a lot of the year. Um, but I went with Punk. Okay. I, I, you know, I know he, he didn't show up till August, but I feel like he really set the trend for like, you know, again, like they weren't they they just had a bunch of people boxed in at, Daily, at Daly's place for the first seven months or whatever. And with Punk, I mean, you sold out, you know, the United Center, a lot of that, I'm sure a ton of that, the reason that they got such a big money buy for All Out was because of his return match. And um, the ratings took a little bit of a dive in the last couple weeks, maybe like a month or so, but they really saw really good ratings with him, for, with him when he did make his return. And uh, that his debut on rampage is like doubled up what they're doing right now on a weekly basis. Once like kind of the interest kind of died down a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes triple dude. It, it's it, going to be tripled after this Christmas show for sure. But, um, yeah, it don't, I wouldn't worry about the years. I, I would easily say it's punk because next is Omega money wise, you would think, but punk totally overthrones it. And then he make the first, he made his contract in the first fucking week or something like that with all the t-shirts and stuff. So it's a different landscape for box office drawer. And I think it's easily punk. I wouldn't feel bad about that at all. I have him on my list. Um, but for box office draw, it's the needle mover Roman Reigns for me with the WWE. Uh, I also considered John Cena, you know, he was only back for mm-hmm. call it six, seven weeks, but when he was on raw, he drew the biggest ratings and yeah, it, you're drawing ratings, but it's 2021 is a different world. It's hard. You know, you, there's no pay-per-view buys, when he came back, his merchandise off the shelves, and it's just the same fucking green shirt. <laughs> so John Cena is def- a needle mover, 100%. And then I put Brock, you know, to a lesser extent, he he warrants a, a nominee. But if if I have one pick, it's it's easily Roman. 
um, merch as a heel, which is huge. His rate, his segments on SmackDown on YouTube are outstanding. Again, 2021, different world, YouTube views. It's a thing. Punk too, Mike, with that. And then uh, I also put in parentheses Punk. I mean, in case you didn't mention him, I wanted to give him some love because I agree. And then um, I have one more too, but I'll leave that for Rossi if he doesn't mention him. Rossi, who's your box office draw of the year? So, I mean, is anybody like on the Indies a box office draw? Like, did you get 25,000 people to, to like watch your clip on YouTube? Like, is that how, how you establish a box office draw in Indies? Um, <laughs> I don't know it's that, tough. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I want to just kind of give more shouts here than anything because nothing's going to be Roman Reigns. Nothing's going to be CM Punk. Um, But like Matt Cardona. That was um, my guy. That's who I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) He put eyes on a product. He he put eyes on a product that, you know, you never would have had people interested in Like that build up to the match with Nick Gage was he was getting interviewed everywhere. Um, Podcasts like, you know, he's been all over the place advertising the hell out of this, this show. Um, And, you know, it did a really good, buy rate for a gcw show and then you know he worked he was supposed to work a beyond show over the summer that sold out the white eagle in like days um just on the premise that he was there and that was when you know the end of the summer unfortunately that show ended up having to get canceled but um he he sold that out quick and then they went to boston when he did his return to beyond he sold that out quick he's been doing more gcw shows been selling out different cities detroit Chicago, um, different places that he could be. He, he worked, you know, some crazy matches while doing it. Um, Deathmatch um, Cardone is a thing now. Uh, but, and not only really that, the guy's selling so much merch and wrestling tees. Um, he's hemorrhaging, you know, he's making so much money just putting out three or four different shirts a week. And he's just, people are buying multiples. I, I can't say anything but him because as we talk about what we did with Lauderdale and where would Lauderdale be without Cardona these last six months? And it's, it's brought a broad helped brought a company up from, you know, struggling to survive um, in a lawsuit to, you know, thriving and selling out to Hammerstein. And I give a lot of that to Cardona. So he's really the only one I can say. Yeah. Agree. And on top of his Patreon and his own podcast network and, all his figure stuff. The guy's a stud. He's I've truly, always- yeah, he's truly a guy that will make more money never working for WWE again than he probably would if he went back to WWE um, because he's yeah, so limited what they could do at that point. Exactly. They, um, so who knows? They, he makes that move back someday, but I don't think he has a need to. I wouldn't. They showed that picture of you know, from TLC 11 when like it's like Punk and Brian and Cody and all those guys with the belts and Ryder's one of them with the U.S. title. And it's just wild that that was 10 years ago and he was so charismatic and he did such a good job getting himself over. And then they just did nothing, you know, then they just did nothing with him for, and he just left. So it's just wild to me. I think for sure he's your indie box office draw. Do you have any more names you want to spit at us for recognition, Rossi? No, not really. I mean, I, I unless we start talking MMA and we start talking about McGregor, it's, it's, there's nothing else that I can really realistically say. I mean, give Osprey a throw because he, you know, got a lot of American viewers and maybe some lapsed New Japan viewers during his title run. Um, but still, I mean, that's not really a needle mover, so it's tough to really say. Most charismatic. Eller, who do you got for AEW? MJF. I was going to go, this was, you know, special props to CM Punk. If you want to go to the other side, I went, I was going to go with WWE. I would, I would consider Roman Reigns for this. I, I just think he's so good. Uh, you know, his heel persona is just really incredible. His ability to get people to hate him is just something that's like I feel like is still definitely a lost art in wrestling. 
Um, I think we're past that point where it's like everyone's like a Kevin Nash where they try to be a cool guy heel. I think we have like a lot of very good heels in wrestling right now. But um, he just takes it to a whole nother level. And I mean, I catch myself sometimes just like actually hating him when I um, <laughs> when I watch and I, I get like, you know, I'm a, I get tricked into really thinking he's like, you know, I believe is what he's what he's saying. So um, and, you know, just the fact he's 25 years old and he's carrying himself like this is really, really impressive and uh, definitely excited to see him be a world champion in the next few years. Agree. I think he's awesome um, for the WWE. I have three written down. I have Roman Reigns, but he's getting love somewhere else. He just it's just hard to not say he's so charismatic. Just watch him walk out. His presence his aura, his persona. It's great. The one other one I have is Riddle. Just what he's done with Orton, you know, because even he gives terrible material sometimes and he's so charismatic. It works. So it's hard to say that, like, he doesn't deserve to be on this list. But my number one guy is hands down most charismatic. 2021 is Sami Zayn. Just the stuff with KO early working through like the mid card. And even when he's doing nothing, he's just perfect. The stuff with Vince at the Survivor Series, though, the night after. The stuff with Roman, the stuff with Brock was unbelievable. And then you forget the Trey Young stuff, like the Trey Young coming out and there's just him, the dancing, it, the, the the Logan Paul stuff. It's just hands down, Sami Zayn. It's not even close. I He's my 2022 breakout guy. Move on. I love Sami Zayn. And it's funny because he was kind of in no man's man forever and he found his way as a heel. And honestly, he has breakout 2022 babyface upside in him believe it or not i believe and where's this conspiracy stuff it could lead to him being a huge breakout star so i'm all for it most charismatic 2021 Sami Zayn. rossi who you got so i've got the one that i really want to give the biggest shout out to is uh austin theory indy hartwell and gargano um with their work with the way i thought that they were so awesome in that role and it really elevated Indy and theory to a pretty high level from where they were before the way started i mean theory was up on the main roster and then kind of banished back to nxt and i feel like gargano kind of like i don't know whose idea that was but i want to give gargano the credit for it um he really brought something out of theory that i i didn't expect to see to be completely honest because he was such a lack of charisma on the indies that seeing what he's become in the last year um, has been really kind of astonishing for me. And same thing with Indy Hartwell. Like I knew little to nothing about Indy Hartwell ex- except that she, you know, she was from Australia or whatever, and she had some runs in the Indies in the U.S. but nothing crazy. Um, and then you know, by the time they go to start 2.0, I mean, add Dexter Loomis to the pile too. I mean, as goofy as that wedding was, it was like you can't miss TV. Oh, um, so you you had a great time watching that. And that was the launch of 2.0. And it still, it didn't like stick out like a sore thumb. It fit in. And Loomis was awesome growing that character out. And, you know, he's a goofball. You know, he's never going to be like a, a huge moneymaker for that company. But um, he's a he's a cool aspect of a weekly program. Um, and I think, you know, giving them the shout here is what I wanted to do. And then I can't do talk about indies and GCW without giving a shout here to Effie. Um, just yeah, the guy, guy that, guy that um, you know. He's the definition of charismatic. Um, he can turn any crowd in his in his hand, play play everybody there. I mean, I don't know if you remember his matches with like Orange Cassidy in the Indies, like 
That yes. was when I was first getting into Effie and, and like how he his you know, he really can turn a crowd, you know, to, to root for him, even if they don't really know him going into it. So um, got to give him a shout. And he's a name that I have high on my list of gigantic breakout stars in 2022. I don't know if he wants to do it, but I think he's somebody that I could see Tony Khan, especially maybe given some AEW time to in 2022. Yeah, that'd be very cool. And in 2019, 2018, Ryan is very happy that you put Effie on that list because I wouldn't shut the fuck up about him back then. And you were like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> Talking about Effie so goddamn much. But hey, he's made it. I saw it early. I'm all for it. Past history, 2022, MJF, most charismatic. 19, Jericho. Oh my God, gotta, give me a break. Uh, 17, 18, Naito. 16, McGregor. 14, 15, New Japan version of Shinsuke. 11, 12, The Rock. 06 to 10, Cena. <laughs> Guerrero 0405, the Rock, so pretty much the Rock whenever he's active. Michaels 2005 and six. I don't see Bret Hart anywhere on this list. Anyways, um, the next category we have most improved. Mike Eller 20, 2021 AEW most improved. My choice was Hangman Page, and it kind of I was kind of surprised picking him like when I was coming up with it, but I went with him because like he went from like being he he became an A plus player. And at least in AEW, and he's a world champion right now. And how he was at the beginning of maybe beginning of 2021, end of 2020, I think he had a good upper mid card thing going on, but I wouldn't have bought him at that point as winning the title. And then he kept the feud with the elite, um, really, really built him up. And I thought he did a really good job. And I, again, like, Maybe he didn't go from a zero to a hundred, but I think he went from like a 90 to a 95. And I think sometimes that's the hardest place you can go. Another one of the, I guess, props, Britt Baker, I think has gotten, you know, she was, she got even better. She was great in 20, from the beginning of 2020 to the end of 2020. Um, but I think she, again, she took it up a whole nother level in 2021. And uh, yeah, so that was another honorable mention I wanted to throw out. Cool, cool. All right. I struggled with this category, honestly, with the WWE, because I gave Mike NXT just to give him more to work with. So I couldn't really dig into that. I wanted to go Cameron Grimes just because the whole character revamp from the start and then just watching him grow this year and just be awesome. Believe it or not, I came to a conclusion. I went with Seth Rollins. Most improved? Not necessarily. Maybe most rehabbed? Um, 2020, he was just, it's, I don't want to go through his 2021, but it was mostly bad. Um, ever since he had the worst feud with Fiend, he was kind of like you know, hovering. And then even before that, as champ, he was struggling with Corbin and with Becky and all that stuff. So it was a, a slippery slope downhill and he kind of hit rock bottom in 2020 with the whole fucking Ray shit and the eyeball. And, and I don't know, he was just rough for a while in 2020 and then he found his way in the smackdown upper mid card and then really jumping into that feud at wrestlemania with cesaro and putting cesaro over kind of put him on his heels a little bit and showed him that this guy's still fucking good he shined up cesaro and he got you know got a little appreciation for cesaro for that two three month push he had the bellwether fans kind of appreciated rollins a little bit for that and then he's just been a home run ever since that that uh, edge feud and he is my most improved wrestler in 2021 believe it or not seth rollins rossi who you got all right so i mean i, I got a couple of names i'm just going to throw a quick just kind of thinking about you know both of of your categories i mean thinking nxt um Ilya dragunov I feel like yes. he was always a great wrestler, but he really took it to a different level this year. He's somebody that I think is, 
if WWE can figure out what to do with the NXT um, UK roster, then he's a name that will blow up in the United States. Um, so I think that that's one that, you know, even has more room to even grow there, but the improvement's not needed at this point. He kind of figured that out this year. And I was really impressed with his micro mic work when he worked the uh, regular NXT programming uh, yes. much better than I would have expected him to be. And I think that he went from thinking he would be like a career, like mid card NXT UK guy to me fully understanding why he's carrying that brand. Now I definitely think that he's one I want to give a shout to, and then give another one on the indie side to uh, Masha Slamovich. She's a name and I know Ryan, you're probably giggling at it, but like this girl before fans came back, I never understood what the hell she was. She was just kind of a meddling like female wrestler on an indie show. Um, and she didn't really have, you know, anything that really like drove you to really seek out more of her work. She just kind of was there. She was fine. She wasn't bad, but she really just, you know, took it to another level this year. Um, she came back with a, to, with like, she didn't go anywhere, but when fans came back and people started watching indies again, I feel like um, she really was somebody that's been everywhere. And now she's working some impact. She's worked dark a few times. Um, I mean, just look at her last couple months of matches um, and just the diversity she's been able to show. Um, she worked a match with Dasha from the, the AW announcer. Um, and then she went, I mean, obviously for her to be trusted with that, people must have some respect for how she can work in the ring. Um, she's worked Penelope on dark and not embarrassed herself. Um, she's had matches with AG since he's left WWE. Um, she's had death matches. She's had, she worked Sheeter on dark once. She's worked Diana on impact. Um, and she's, you know, had decent matches with Alley Cat, which, you know, not a lot of people do. Some people do. She worked Marina Shafir at Bloodsport, um, which, you know, obviously to get that role, you've got to be respected. And she's really turned up the profile. And I think at this point, she's one of the highest book wrestlers in um, indie wrestling. And I think seeing where she's gone from, um, you know, this time last year, she's had the biggest improvement of anybody in indie. So had to give her a shout too. Very cool. Past w- winners here, 2020. Britt Baker, 2019, 45-year-old Lance Archer, 2018, Adam Page, 2017, Braun Strowman, 2016, Matt Riddle. He was a rookie, so I'm not sure how much he improved, but hey, that's cool. We'll go with it. And then Bailey, Roman, and Rusev, and then Okada, Ziggler, Sheamus, Miz. You know, and then this one kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Five, Roderick Strong, Ring of Honor. (laughs) Interesting there. All right, the next category we're going to lump together is gimmicks. Mike Eller, best gimmick? And worst gimmick for AEW. All right. So um, best gimmick, I went. Um, I'm going to repeat myself here, aren't I? Um, best gimmick, I went MJF again. I just thought, like, the heel, douchebag, you know, rich guy. Um, I thought he did, again, I thought he did a really good job with it. Um, I think that he got even better from from 2020, um, you know, going from, but he just, again, I, I know I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I thought he just did a, a really, really good job at, you know, selling himself and what he is. And um, again, it's it's what it's what he's taking to become a, a future main eventer with the worst gimmick of the year. This is a guy I usually like. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he's a winner of the past. He's a past winner of the best gimmick of the year. Um, Matt Hardy and the Hardy family office, I just think is. It just it just doesn't work. Um, I just think it's just like this collection of like guys who don't really click together. And I never like I they try to sell them as like something that's like legitimate, like in a way like Team Taz is like good, but they're like kind of like jobbers to the stars. They always lose big matches. 
And I feel like with the Hardy family office, they kind of try them at that same level. And I don't think it's, I don't think it works. I think I don't really need to see Matt Hardy in big matches. Like even like, you know, he was on a, he's been on pay-per-views and I just don't think he's needs to be there anymore. Um, so that's my choice for uh, worst, worst gimmick. And it's funny because I think that's the best my Hardy's been in AEW. <laughs> but uh, I'm not a huge Hardy guy. Um, anyway, so my best gimmick of the year is, oof, again, Roman Reigns, the tribal truth, head of the table. Is it a gimmick? I don't know, but it fucking works. You know what I mean? I couldn't. It's just hard to not pick him. You know what I mean? Just because from the aspect of, Jesus, 2019 the big dog or you know 2018 roman reigns just the baby face it's just not there it's just not clicking like this as soon as he's i'm head of the table i'm the tribal chief boom he's on it so is it a gimmick i don't know but i'm giving it to him best gimmick of the year roman reigns and then i also had um cameron grimes in nxt the rich hillbilly the the bitcoin winner the stockbroker Total. I loved him before this, and then this whole this is the definition of a gimmick. All the Tendi Viasi work, all the LA Knight work. Now leading into the Duke Hudson stuff is a little disappointing, but Duke Hudson kind of stinks, and he's making the best of it. It's just the charisma, everything shines, and this gimmick really added to his work. And then I have um, a little love for indie heel Matt Cardona. We already went over him. Rossi, who you got? So I mean. Cardone is an easy one here, but he I mean he's not even I don't even feel like he's playing a gimmick at this point. I think he's just, you know, smart about what he what he does and I mean he's he's good at writing things writing people out on Twitter, but I mean he's just playing an asshole and it's it's gotta be easy work for him. I'm gonna actually say Dan Housen for best gimmick. Okay. And this is gonna be I'm not a big Dan Housen guy, but you gotta respect the hustle. Yes. This guy hurt himself and he like tore his ACL, I think, and he stayed in character at the hospital in order to allow <laughs> pictures and, and videos to be taken and put on his Twitter and stuff. Um, I mean, the, the guy's never going to wow you in the ring, but he can captivate a crowd with, you know, in the blink of an eye. He's kind of got that Effie to him. In fact, Effie and, and um, Dan Housen have a tag team together called Gaytonic Panic. They kind of go hand in hand in a weird way. Dan Housen's just a guy. I mean, look at Pro Wrestling Tees. He's got like 10 pages of shit that he sells. Um, the guy has figured out a way to stay relevant, even when he's been hurt, um, more relevant than a lot of indie wrestlers are. Um, and he was kind of a name that kind of was a huge part of ROH in the last you know, year, um, making their programming, you know, have some entertainment to it and kind of give it some pizzazz that they didn't really have with a lot of their other workers. Um, and then worst gimmick, I'm going to uh, click over to NXT and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Tien Shah. Um, I thought that that was just a disaster. Um, it never really seemed to have purpose. It just seemed to like be a way to try to get Zia Lee matches on TV, but it just like, it made her matches seem less interesting. Um, I thought that she, you know, is, is set up good for a main roster run now, because I feel like she, you know, has maybe been able to like feel out a gimmick a little bit more. Um, but I just don't think that Tian Shah was ever something that was going to work. Um, uh, I, what, what's the guy's name? I can't even think oh. of it. That's how, that's how unentertaining he is oh, for me. Yeah. He just doesn't <laughs> do it for me now with the face paint either. I just don't think it worked. And then Karen, poor Karen Q had to carry, had to wear that for as long as she did. And now she's like sleeping on NXT every week in the background. It's the weirdest hopefully thing. Hopefully she gets another shot. Yeah. So hopefully she gets another shot. She's yeah. got a really strange name. It's like Wendy something. 
<laughs> so it just seems like I don't know if they're going to figure out what to do with her, but it, that Tian Shah gimmick just with the hype that they gave it and the length they, they put programming to it, it just didn't do it for me. Now, um, I forgot to give my worst gimmick. So my worst gimmick is The Fiend slash Alexa Bliss, even though I think Alexa Bliss is charismatic enough to make it work. And then I have Braun Strowman just back to the whole stupid thing. But hopefully that whole WWE, like, I don't know what to, what to call it, like second universe fucking bullshit's all gone. And Alexa Bliss comes back to the goddess. But here are some, some of the past best gimmicks. 2020 Orange Cassidy. 2019, The Fiend, go figure. But actually, 2019 Fiend was pretty good. 2018, Velveteen Dream, this is going very well. 2016, uh, Broken Matt Hardy, 15. D-R-E-A-M. That's <laughs> 15, The New Day. Six, uh, 14, Rusev and Lana. 17, uh, 13, The Wyatt Family. Punk in, in 9, in 11. Santino Morella, our boy from uh, 08, Mike. Kennedy in 05 oh, Matt Hardy again so Matt Hardy won two Matt Hardy made this list two times for two different gimmicks and then the some of the worst gimmicks oh boy 2020 The Fiend 19 Shorty Cable 18 Constable Corbin 17 uh, Bray Wyatt slash Sister Abigail uh, 16 Bone Soldier 15 Co- Stardust Adam Rose, 16. Aces and eight. Oh, this one's warranted. 2011, Michael fucking Cole. What uh, Any other good ones? The Johnsons in 2012. <laughs> the Johnsons in 02. Are those, are those the jerking off trash can guys? Oh, Mike yeah, Austin. Yeah, I think they were like bald, like, like nude caps. Uh, fake Diesel, Razor, Jeff Jarrett, Goldust is on here twice. All right, so that's kind of the, the history of the best and the worst gimmicks. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mike Eller, who do you got for 2021 Rookie of the Year? I, okay, so for this one, I went with AEW. I went with Jade Cargill. And, again, it's the one I had a little trouble with. And I think – I'm going to be honest with you. Like, my pick is going to be somebody who you guys are probably going to say, uh, my legitimate pick. But for AEW, I, I went with Jade. Um, you know, they presented her well. She's not very good. In the, she isn't good in the ring at all. Um, but – she definitely has a look. She definitely has a star look. And I think if she can get it in the ring and if she can figure that out, she's going to be money and she's going to be a big star for them. So, I, you know, again, the wrestling has been great, but I think that if, if she gets that down, she's going to be pretty good. Who? Well, who would you have picked, you know, if you could use outside the parameter? Uh, Breaker. Braun Breaker? Okay, yeah. So um, for the WWE, I went with Braun Breaker too, but I uh, said, is that NXT? Am I allowed to do that? But, yeah. He's, you know, he's clearly the rookie of the year, I think. But other than that, I would say our boy, Bad Bunny, you know, because the year before it was Pat McAfee. Pat had two matches. Bad Bunny had one, only the one. But he's also, hey, he was also 24-7 champ. And he had that Royal Rumble gimmick. So I thought there was enough meat on that bones. And, the, and it was so surprising how well it went that I wanted to uh, give him some love. But if I had to pick, it's Braun Breaker. Rossi, who you got? So Braun Breaker was my answer. Um, I couldn't really think of any like indie rookies per se. Yeah, I it's feel a hard like, category to gauge. Really. I feel like we might get some of those in 2022 um, with like Beyond doing this wrestling open thing. Um, that's going to probably bring some people to the forefront. But this year has been weird because it's been all about like, you know, establishing a program instead of a wrestler. I mean, I... The, I definitely say Braun Breaker too. I mean, you just see money with that guy. Um, I, I, other than his name, which I still, you know, I've, I've come around a little bit on, but I still don't think that that's 
a name that's going to be on the uh, lights at a mania. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, one I want to give a shout to for AEW is Dante Martin. Didn't really see it in him at all when it was at the tag team. Like I thought he would like his look like bothered me a little bit. I just like he looked like a lost puppy. Um, and he still kind of does at times. But I mean, this, what this dude can do in the ring, it looks like he's been doing it for decades, not as the short length of time that he is. I mean, I don't know how old that kid is, um, but he's got a super bright future. And I mean, he's been all over their programming of late. So I think that's what um, that's someone that I think I've got a really big eye on in the next few years. I mean, it might not take him long. Um, I kind of feel bad for his brother because when his brother comes back, like he might, you know, be be Genetti already, um, and an injury caused it. So um, we'll see what happens with them when they get back together. They could just easy feud together, but I've been real impressed with his work, and I think that's someone I wanted to give a shout to. For sure. Um, now, do you think he is he the older or the younger brother? Do you guys either of you know offhand? He's a younger. He's the younger. He's oh, only like 20. Yeah, he's younger. Interesting. All right, so some of the past winners here. 2020, Pat McAfee, 19. Jungle Boy, 18. Ronda, that's easy. Um, Riddle, 16. 15, Chad Gable. Uh, notable names, 14, Dragon Lee. 2010, Adam Cole, baby. Um, Mike, are you familiar with Frightmare from Chikara, 2009? Oh, yeah. No, I'm oh, yeah. not. And I actually just oh, thought, of, I thought <laughs> of two names. I thought of two names I want to throw out as well. So just because it's like absurd that they get as many bookings as they do, but they're actually pretty entertaining. Nick Wayne is a 16 year old kid that's been working GCW and their West coast shows. Um, he just worked Deppin this past week. Um, wasn't overly impressed with him, but I mean, just kind of look into this, this category next year. I think he's going to be someone that will probably have a big time eye on. And then Billy Starks, who's a 16, 17 year old girl. That's kind of in the same spot. But she's been like top five wrestlers with matches this year. So um, she's someone that actually would qualify as a rookie. And I mean, if that girl's not under contract the day she turns 18, I'd be shocked. Um, so I just didn't I wanted to kind of give them a quick shout because um, I forgot about them when I was talking. <laughs> Fucking 16 year olds. Most that's not his mind. All right. 2005 Shingo Tagagi. 2000 Sean O'Hare. Whatever happened to him? 98 Goldberg. 96 The Giant Paul White. 94, Mikey Whipwreck. 92, Mysterio. No, 91, Johnny B. Bad. Austin, uh, Goldust, Pillman. So this was some notable winners here. Pretty cool. Most overrated and underrated, Eller. Who you got from AEW? Uh, most overrated, I went Cody. He just, like, I, I've, I've seen this joke that, like, his matches are, like, in the Cody-verse, where they, like, exist within his feuds, but they don't really connect to anything else in the promotion. And I really agree with that. <laughs> like, I mean, going back to that, like Anthony, a go-go match, like, you know, like he was like trying to feud with like great Britain, like where, I don't know where I, in the United States, we're, we're cool with great Britain. Like, like they don't do anything wrong. Like they're, I didn't get, I just thought it was so forced. The American thing was really forced. He is not a, I don't think he's a bad wrestler. Like I, I you know, I don't think he's great. Although that um, Andrade match a couple weeks ago is awesome. He just doesn't blow me away. And I get where he, I get why he's, he is where he is. And I, you know, his, his involvement and his importance to AEW, you know, is obviously enormous. It, the show has just evolved so much and he's still doing the same thing and it just doesn't stick anymore. And we're doing underrated as well. Yep. Okay. So I also, for underrated, I went with uh, Santana and Ortiz. Those are guys who have been there since the beginning, um, like Cody, but like, I just don't feel like they get their fair shake. I know AEW is really deep in tag teams. They always deliver, like they always are good in whatever role they're given. Like they're always over. 
Um, I know they're they're on dark or dark elevation a lot, um, and I feel like they should do more with them and give them more feuds. Give like they had the thing with FTR earlier in the year, and then we're kind of just like they're just kind of hanging out now. And they were they were guys when they debuted. I was certain that they were going to be WWE or AEW tag team champions, and um, I think we're a lot further away from that than we were a year and a half ago. Uh, all right, so my most underrated is actually. Sheamus. I don't think he gets enough love. And then I have also Ricochet on the list too. Talent wise, yeah, it's Ricochet. He should be upper like upper mid card and instead of being like King Woods' lackey <laughs> for a better term backstage or on main event for a fucking full year when he's on Raw. He has delivered so many good matches this year when called upon. So that's why I went with Ricochet and Sheamus because they always deliver when they're called upon. Sheamus has been beat up a little bit this year, so it's hard to say for him to catch in the groove, but Jesus Christ, his first four months this year with Riddle and Drew and Lashley seemed like every week on Raw he was having a three-and-a-half to four-star match. Just insane. And in he's still consistent throughout the year when he's called on. And then I wanted to say a little bit, I think under love is kind of Drew, Rollins, and Charlotte. They get too much too much hate in for because if you look at their resume, they're really not bad. They're just kind of a little overused. So... By giving them so much hate, I would call them underrated. And the most overrated, I have three names. Only one of them are in aid. Uh, only one are in WWE because it's kind of hard to come up with a list. But I went Omis. I'm afraid he's going to get overpushed. Um, he's kind of already overpushed. Besides being seven three, what really does he have much for him? Last night we're recording this on a Tuesday after Raw, but last night when he had that breakup moment with AJ. He said like three sentences and Miz did all his talking. The dude definitely needs a mouthpiece. If he's going to get any push, you can't have a real match. I don't know. He just has great Kali with like a cool factor, I guess, to him because he is somewhat cool. I'm just afraid he's going to get overpushed. And the other ones that I think are like extremely overrated now are Cody, Mike. I, I uh, agree with all you said. And then I actually have a Chris Jericho. I think he's negative on everything he is. He was MJF's worth feud, the whole pushing off the cage thing. His, he's so sensitive on Twitter with some shit. The guys in the inner circle have so much upside, and he just literally, I don't know, they're just like his lackeys and kind of what you proud and po- powerful guys. It's just, I don't know, I think he's just weighing a lot of people down. And his other than his entrance and the sing-along, there's just nothing there anymore. And I get it, he's old, whatever. So those are my overrated, underrated for 2021. Rossi, who you got? All right, so overrated, I'm going to turn to Impact and say Rich Swan. Um, so he entered the year as, as Impact's champion, and he I'm going to say it now. He had a really good match with Omega, but, I mean, does Omega have bad matches with people if he's, you know, on a pay-per-view? I don't really give him a ton of credit for that one. Um, I just don't think that I've never really seen the star in him push to the level that Impact carried him this year. Um, and then by looking at, like, what he's done in the indie since then, where it was really um, – you know, jaw-dropping for me was he worked spring break for GCW, um, and this was no, not long after he had lost the Impact title, I don't believe. Um, he lost the Impact title um, April 25th, so it was actually before. So he worked spring break and had a match with Lee Moriarty at spring, and it just he didn't stand out. And he was the acting Impact champion at that point. You figure that, you know, that would be someone on an indie show that would stand out. He just looked like another guy. And it just kind of, I didn't understand his push and impact where it was there. And, you know, when he was in WWE, his gimmick, I mean, his music was over. He wasn't. 
Um, so I've just never really been fond of him. I think he's just a guy, and I think there's a ton of people that are a lot better than him that that deserve more of a push like he's been getting. And then secondarily for underrated, I, I'm going to say Joey Janela. I just feel like there's more for him to give in AEW. Now, do I think he's someone that deserves TV time over the people that they've been pushing with their three hours of TV? Probably not. But do I think that he's a better worker than then they've really given him the chance to show. Yeah, they've always from day one had him like pegged as a deathmatch guy or the guy that'll jump off stupid thing. Looking at his cage match page right now, his last series of AEW matches have been against Alan Angels, Robert Anthony, Lee Moriarty before he was signed, Stallion Rogers, Dylan McQueen, lost to Sonny Kiss, defeated Crowbar, beat Zach Clayton, who is um, one of the chicks from Jersey Shore's boyfriend or husband. Like, that's his claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> and this is all in AEW. Um, and then he beat Sonny Kiss in a no disqualification. In AEW, he's been pretty much just the catalyst at this point to get that Kayla Rossi chick on TV with, with Dark and try to, while well, she's training. Now, let's look at his last six months in indie matches. He's had, um, he worked Ricky Shane Page and Atticus Kogar with uh, Marco Stunt when they were in there. He had a match with Minoru Suzuki. He had a match with Dickinson. He had a match with Sonny Kiss at an indie that was like the length of all three of their other matches in AEW combined. Um, and then his last three out of AEW were Brian Cage, Dante Martin, and Two Cold Scorpio. The guy's having more impactful matches on indies than he is in, in AEW. And I feel like he's somebody that, you know, I kind of hope that they just let him go when his contract's up because I'm not saying that this guy's going to go main event at WrestleMania, but I feel like he's got more to give in wrestling than he's kind of been afforded the opportunity to in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, he'll be working GCW at the Hammerstein. We'll see what he does from here. Um, but I, I think this could be a very different year for Janela. And I think that he's somebody I kind of want to the spotlight right now. All right. So here's some warranted underrated names. Actually, it's kind of all WWE. It's weird. Um, 2020, Ricochet. 2019, Shorty G. 18, Balor. 17, Rusev for fucking eight years. Cesaro, Kid, Caval, Ziggler, Born, MVP, Shelton for six years. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of interested in the most overrated WWE, too. But it's warranted. Wyatt, Corbin for two years. Jinder. Don't hinder Jinder. Roman in 16. Kane for two years. Orton. Ryback. So, yeah, pretty much warranted. Mike. You can skirt outside a little WWE if you got to. Uh, best worst TV announcers for you, Mike. Who you, Eller, who you got? Okay, I might go. If we can skirt outside, I think I'm gonna go outside for both. Best, I went. If we could do the, and I'm not. Hope I'm not stealing thunder, but. Best, I went with Pat McAfee. That's my choice for WWE and for AEW. I, I, I guess I'll go with an AEW guy, too. I'll go with Tony Schiavone. Um, I think both guys are super fun, um, and that's what I, I really, really like about them. They, I don't know. I, Tony's kind of, you know, was a really great announcer. I think he still can call a big match. With Pat, he just, I'm not trying to be, like, like be hyperbolic, but he really kind of, like, changed like the feel of smackdown when he became an announcer there he's really good like if you i don't know if you've been to a smackdown but like when they were here in cleveland he like in commercial breaks he like gets people like he'll like do like pump up and like talk to the audience and stuff like that which is really cool and i don't know they just like you you want you don't turn in for the announcing but like when you look forward to them um i think that's pretty huge and that's why i went with them for the best worst uh i really don't like Corey graves uh, that like ha ha laugh that he does is just awful. Um, his fake laugh is, I mean, he really leans into the heel stuff, and it just kind of reminds me of when JBL came back in like 2012, and it he almost became a character of himself. 
And I feel like Graves is a character of himself right now in WWE from where he was in NXT when I thought he was maybe the best announcer. I also don't love Excalibur. Um, he's okay calling like with all the he knows all the names of the moves. He he knows uh, where the the background of all these guys. Uh, but he just misses a lot. And uh, I don't know, like that one time when like Malachi Black debuted and he's like, you know, it's Tommy End. Wait, wait, it's Malachi Black. Uh, <laughs> it just was so awkward and terrible. That's my, those are my choices. Cool, cool. Um, I agree with Pat. Like all you said, I agree. I went with Wade Barrett also. I think he's, you know, a good mix of heel and intelligent, like, he's moving the story and he's working he was working with Beth and Vic who really aren't that very good so he and he's just making it all work and then I went with Taz for AEW I just I love Taz I think he is he breaks down a move he's entertaining everything that that announced crew's not because I I personally can't stand the AEW announced crew to get to the worst I agree with everything you said about Excalibur the mask is stupid he misses a lot he's extremely overrated yeah, he knows the moves, but he's very dull and he's hard to keep up with. The other worst announcers I had was Jimmy Smith. <laughs> he's just bad. He's on TV because the other worst announcer I have on this list, Adnan Verk, was terrible. And I wanted to give Adnan a chance. I listened to the GM Shuffle. I like him on MLB Network. I like him as a dude, but he's just, he was just too... Yeah, he was just brutal. <laughs> and then the other one I have is Byron. I think he's just... I don't know. Sometimes he's a little lovable, but... Other than that, he's just doesn't really add much. And believe it or not, Mike, I love him too, but I have Tony Schiavone under the worst. He, I love him oh. for all the things <laughs> all the things you said, but whenever the moments warrant, he adds nothing. So what a move or like last week in the sixty minute draw, he's like, This is a classic three minutes in. So he's just he's ter- he's terrible <laughs> timing. I listen to his podcast every week. I would never shit on him, but he just adds nothing. And I think it flows better with Taz. You know, if, if JR is he if he has to be involved, sure, but I don't know. I just think I think he's better as a backstage announcer. I think he's better with uh Britt Baker doing his thing than he is behind the announce desk where it's really forced, but I, I understand his, his importance back there. Tony uh Khan can probably bounce a lot of stuff off of him. He's a veteran. He helps direct a lot of stuff, but he just doesn't add much. And he, when he tries to, he just – it's so simple and it's so, like, nothing. But I love him. I, it's, I can't really do it. I just did it as a – to be honest. All right, Rossi, who you got? All right, so Kevin Kelly for New Japan, when he does the American announcing, is phenomenal. Um, yep. he, he's had to do it all from home this year, um, but you never really felt that when you watched his broadcasts. Um, you thought that he was in the building the entire time, and I feel like that's got to be the toughest thing to do, when you, especially because you don't feel off a crowd. You're just kind of watching the tape later. And, you know, that that's, I mean, a lot of them had to get used to that during pandemic anyway, so um, to be good at it is is definitely a tough job. Um, so I think he's great. I still think he's the best around. And I want to give a shout to Ian Riccoboni from ROH, too. I think he's really good. Smart guy. He's got a cool voice. Um, and he's going to start working some New Japan stuff as well. So um, New Japan's good at getting those American voices. They, they really do a pretty good job with that. Um, and Kelly's been great since they did it. 
I love Don Don Callis whenever he does it uh, does yes. anything. I love Callis. Um, he just pushes a, a story great um, when he's in there. Um, and then worst, Kevin Gill from GCW. I've been done a lot of praise on GCW, but this guy is the one thing that makes you want to shut a GCW off, show off or watch it on mute. He's just horrendous. It swears like it's cool, just like really low rent stuff. And, he, and that's the one thing I hope GCW fixes in the next couple months is they got to get that guy off of programming. Um, he's just like he was used to be the Juggalo Championship Wrestling announcer with ICP, and you could tell the way he talks. He's just shitty. He's gotta go. And I gotta tell it like it is, guys. Um, I know I, we all feel for him with what he's going through, but Jim Ross sucks. Um, I'm glad <laughs> that he's getting off of off of it. It seems like like they said that they're gonna start transitioning him. He's so good at those backstage interviews, like to the, the same point you made with Shivani. But I mean, he botched so many things, like big emotional moment when they're in Jacksonville and the crowd's back and he's like, you know, have a great night from WWE Dynamite. And it's like, oh, like, how does that happen at this point? Um, and he's so programmed in the brain to say that stuff that he just doesn't research the product like he used to. Um, he carries with the voice and his voice is valuable. Don't get me wrong. But it's been better when he's been gone. And I hate to say it because I know he's gone for a recovery and a a battle that I have never had to fight. But I just don't feel like he's got it anymore. And he just, if he never came back to the announcement with, I wouldn't miss him. I agree. Uh, There's, I looked over this list. I was going to see if there was a little trivia to see if there was a, a announcer has been on worst and best, but it hasn't happened. So it's not even worth going over it. But anyways, our, our next category is best non-wrestler. Mike Eller, who do you got for the AEW side, best non-wrestler? Went with Don Callis. He really added a lot to Omega. Uh, I think it was instrumental really in Omega becoming such a great champion. He's also very good. At, like I loved when he would join the announce booth. I thought he was really funny. Like he had good moments. Uh, just like the small things, like when he was on with Ricky Starks and he was saying, you know, all those guys in the back are just a bunch of morons. And then Ricky Starks says, Hey, I'm right here. And he's like, yeah, you're on the announce table with me. You're on the back. So I think he, he just does a really, uh, he does a really good job with that. I think without, Callus, again, I don't know how far Omega would have made it. it, like, or I don't know how great his act would have been. Um, I know he'd been out for the, for a little bit, and he also, I just, you know, Mike might want to come up speak more on this, but he had a really good on impact. He and Scott Demore had a really good thing going too. So I think just like his overall contribution um, across everything, uh, across two promotions, goes a long way. Absolutely. I'm glad he's on your list. I, I love Don Callis. I think he's great. My Mine is Paul Heyman. He wins it a lot, uh, and it's warranted. He's excellent. The way he works with Roman, just his acting within the Brock stuff, the way he moves is that story. Hands down, easily Paul Heyman and with a little love for MVP, getting Lashley to where he was at. He definitely warrants a not at second place, but just to be brief, Paul Heyman all day, every day. Rossi, who you got? So I say Don Callis, too, because of the stuff he did at Impact. Um, really tough category this year. There isn't a lot of them anymore. Like, it, I really had to rack my brain to even come up with Callis when I was thinking about all of it, because um, I knew that he would be the AEW answer. Um, so... It was tough for me to come up with anything better, and GCW really doesn't have them. Um, MLW lost Selena De La Rosa. She was the only one that really was that role. Then, you know, Impact had Callus. They might have had some, like, Johnny Swinger and stuff like that, but I'm not saying him. A tough one. And NXT, too, like, Robert Stone, like, he's entertaining, but he's a goofball. And then other than that, like, 
Dexter Loomis is almost a non-wrestler with the way he's pushed, but there really hasn't been options. So Don Callis with what he's done with Impact, like the, he was not only the catalyst to, I think, really helping Omega's character get over, like Mike was saying, um, but, you know, he made him coming over to Impact make sense. And he, you know, I, I go back to when AEW was in Boston and they did the Ghostbusters gimmick. And before I realized that Hangman was the state Puff Marshmallow Man, I was like dying inside hoping it was Callus. Um, <laughs> so I thought that just would have been so funny. But um, the way they did it obviously worked out better. But no, I love Don Callis. And I think that um, AEW you know, doesn't miss him as much as you think they would because of how good he was. Because they have so many other you know, ways to fill that TV time. You know, if he comes back with Omega, I think it'll help Omega go greatly. Yes. Um Past winners, Taz, Heyman, Daniel Bryan, Dario Cuetos, Ricardo Rodriguez in 2011, Vicky Guerrero for two years, Larry Sweeney, rest in peace, Cornette in 06, Bischoff, Heyman, Austin 03, Heyman, and Vincent, uh, the 99-2000. So, rock star, Hall of Fame talent with Ricardo Rodriguez. Actually, let me give a shout to Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville, too. I think Dave and Sonya starting to wrestle again. But I think that they've done a pretty good job um, at that role. Um, it's not a tough role to play. I'm not an easy role to play with Vince probably telling you how to do everything. But I think that they've pushed along programming a lot better than when they didn't really have an authority figure. So yeah. I appreciate the work that they've done. Yeah, I think Pierce is specifically fantastic at it, and it's, he's underappreciated. Best wrestling maneuver. What do you got? So this one was like one I had trouble with. I went with the buckshot lariat just because I think it's really over. Like, I didn't know if I wanted to go with like the coolest looking move, which it, I don't think it is. I just like that he got it really over. He, I don't, it's again, I don't think it's, a, it's not like a 940 splash or, you know, whatever, 1080 splash or whatever. Um, but it finishes matches. It's kind of, I like that it's kind of unique because like not a lot of guys do like the flip over with the, with the Lariat. So, um, that was my choice. Nice. I went with Ricochet's, uh, what's it? The 450 corkscrew splash. What is his name for it? Mike Rossi, you'll know. What is it? I'm trying to, oh, I don't even, I think it's just the 450. I don't even know. But anyways, whatever he goes for it, it's flawless. It's perfect every time. And um, again, he's over. He's under pushed. And but the other one I appreciate is the bro kick. It's just so devastating looking, especially that one at WrestleMania against R- Riddle. It was just awesome. Uh, Rossi, what do you got? So uh, Will Ospreay Stormbreaker, um, just an awesome move um, and something that a lot a lot of people can do. Um, so I definitely think that that's the best move that's in you know any in New Japan right now. Um, I also kind of want to give a shout out to uh, Moxley's finisher. What, what's it called? the the brain buster he's got a funky name for it but he's he's evolved that finisher over the years and now it just looks so much more devastating than it ever did before um now they kind of got the wwe stink off of it so um i think that whenever he hits it it's kind of got that i don't know where feel that the rko has too now um so hopefully when he comes back he's still kicking with that thing but yeah those are the, the top two for me yeah i want to give austin theory a little love too but it's so like new i can't <laughs> But uh, past winners, Osprey with the Stormbreaker, uh, Omega with the One Wing Angel, Styles Clash, Buckshaw, uh, Meltzer Driver with the Bucks, Rainmaker. Uh, well, they got Ricochet here. Double Rotated Moonsault. You know, Evan Bourne, Airborne, Kenta Go to Sleep. You know, stuff like that. All right. The next, that was like the category I struggled with most, honestly, because I was like, whatever. All right. What do you have for best brawler? Mike Eller. AEW's best brawler. Who you got? Um, I went with Mox. You know, he's had a lot, you know, obviously he's been 
gone and hopefully doing a lot better. But I, I think he's had some really good brawls um, throughout the year. His match um, for the IWGP United States title that Archer won from him um, from Fire Fest back, back in July was a really good brawl. I liked his match with Kojima from All Out. Um, and he's been in good tags, like the tag with him and Moxley or Kingston versus Suzuki and Archer in that Lights Out match was really good. You know, he's been he's been in a lot of good tag team matches, too. Just another one I wanted to throw out there, him, Phoenix, and Pac versus Omega and the Good Brothers. Um, that was kind of like a mix of styles, but I, I really remember enjoying that match, too. I went with, believe it or not, I went with Kevin Owens. Um, just his style is excellent. That brawl he had with Sami Zayn for the Money in Back qualifier and then Last Man Standing was excellent. The Royal Rumble, that match with Roman was just so physical. It was throughout, it was what, No Hold Bars, was it? Or Last Man Standing, excuse me. It was just excellent. It's, yeah, it had a, that wonky finish, but that's not their fault. The, the action in it was great. Just Kevin Owens underappreciated that steel cage match even. It, it's, yeah, it's a steel cage match, but it's a brawl. It was a very good match with, he had with Big E like a month or so ago on Raw. Uh, underappreciated, and then the other one's Sheamus. I've gushed about him. Great year. The brawl with Drew, two of them, one at Fastlane and one on Raw. The one at Raw, Jesus Christ, four and a quarter stars I had it at. Flawless. Brawls with Lashley, brawls with even Priest, even bringing up Priest to an intensity level. Sheamus, again, with Riddle, outstanding. So those two are my brawlers of the year for the WWE. I'd probably just go KO just to give him a little love. Rossi, who you got? So I'm going to go Nick Gage um, just because I feel like, you know, he didn't have a ton of matches this year, but everything he did was was like important and built up to something that made sense. Um, whether, I mean, you look at his history this year, it really was just the match with RSP at spring break when he won the title and then Moxley came out and confronted him. Um, then the match with Cardona, match with Jericho and Dynamite. I mean, just doing stuff that you don't ever expect to see on a television wrestling match. I mean, that's tame Gage, you know. Now, is Tage technically sound? Is he ever going to win something that's that's about really good wrestling? No. But with brawling, the guy does it better than anybody. Um, even though he's like a half a cripple at this point, he still does it, does his thing. Um, the match with Moxley was just a brutal match. Um, and, you know, whenever he's back in action, um, you know, He's going to always be in, in the category here. I um, also want to give a shout out to um, John Wayne Murdoch, who had the most matches of anybody in the in the U.S. this year. Considering he's mostly a deathmatch guy, I think that's super impressive. And um, I mean, he's now working GCW, so his profile is going to rocket here in the next couple of months as well. Very cool. All right. So past winners here. A lot of notable names. Last year, Moxley, Tomohiro Ishii for what it looks like seven years, Shibata. Kevin Steen, Necro Butcher, Joe, Benoit, Brock, Austin, and then Foley for pretty much all of the 90s. Hanson, Funk, Bruiser Brody, Gordy. Very notable name on this list. All right, best technical wrestler. Eller, who do you got? Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan. Uh, I had him as the clear one to run away in this. It How is named many, after him. <laughs> <laughs> he deserves it. I know Sabres won a lot of them, but... I have him, I mean, the guy took off, what, four months, and I still have him, I had him at having 15 four-star matches, whether it be a part of a tag or a multi-man match, whatever. Is that um, just so a... incredibly impressive. No, that's WWE, okay. too. Excellent, yes. You know, he can have great matches with Roman Reigns, he can have great, have great matches with Cesaro, just, you know, talking about, like, the WWE stuff. And then, you know, have great matches with Eddie Kingston, um, even Anthony Bowens, who, like, I didn't even know was an average tag wrestler he had a good match with on a 
Rampage a little bit over a month ago. It just like, and they're all different, and they all like tell a different story. And I just, I, I, I don't want to gush too much, but I mean, the guy's just incredible, and it's like we're really lucky to be able to watch somebody so awesome right now. Cool, very cool. Yes, on it. Hey, spoiler! I have Daniel Bryan here too. He was in the WWE for the first four months. He had two solo four and a half, four and a quarter matches with Roman's best singles matches of the year, pretty much. And then that I personally love the WrestleMania three way. I had it four and three quarter stars. Excellent. And then on top of all his AEW work, so I figured I could steal him a little bit. And then I have, for an audible mention, I have Kyle O'Reilly. Um, just, you know, excellent stuff with Finn earlier in the year. The His best match was an actual wrestling match at Great American Batch with Adam Cole instead of their, you know, their brawling matches or their cage match or whatever they had for the rest of the feud. Or, their, excuse me, their unsanctioned match. Their best actual one-on-one match was their... Great American Batch straight up match. So those would be my two, but I would give it to the nod to Brian. Rossi, who you got? All right, so I'm gonna give a shout to Pete Dunn real quick. Um, you know, didn't have the sharpest 2020. They didn't. He wasn't always 2021. It wasn't always used right. I mean, the match with Finn ruled, but you know, he's as good as you get in WWE technical wise now. And then uh, Zack Sabre Jr., like this is pretty much a Zack Sabre Jr. award. He's then not my choice this year um, because Sabre had a great year, a lot of tag matches, and, you know, he had a really good G1 run. But I can't say technical wrestling right now without Jonathan Gresham. I mean, this is the stat that kind of made it an easy choice. He, between the ROH, brought back the Pure Rules title. Which the pure rules title, um, there's two. You get you're allowed two rope breaks. You're allowed. Um, you have to win by pinfall or submission. Like it's a pure wrestling ma- title. So actually, the title makes sense. Now, what was most impressive about this title run is that in the tournament and the, the successful defenses he had with it. He won 10 straight matches with 10 different submission moves. And it kind of reminds me of how Brian's winning matches on TV now, um, Danielson, because he's beating people in much different ways as well. But for Gresham to do it on the level he did with some of the guys he was working, I mean, he had a awesome probably four to four and a quarter star match with Mike Bennett in a pure rules match. Um, I mean, how many people can do that other than Brian probably? <laughs> yeah. Um, so Gresham's right up there now. Going back to it, those are like my two big indie matches or my two big like AW matches, wherever they're going to do it is Gresham and Danielson and Sabre and Danielson. Sabre and Danielson did it once, but it's been a while. Um, but I think Gresham and Danielson is just the match that will blow people out of the water and make Gresham like a much bigger star than he is right now. Yes, there's no reason to go over the past winners because since this decade, it's been Zack Zaber Jr. or Daniel Bryan. So that's that. All right, the last B category we have here is High Flyers. Uh, Eller, who you got for AEW's High Flyer? Ray Phoenix. Um, I thought he was by far the best. I didn't even... I don't want to say by far because I, I want to throw, you know, Mike had talked about, uh, Rossi had talked about him earlier, but Dante Martin did a really good, was very, very good this year too. But with Fenix, he like moves, like there's a guy, a certain guy, like there's luchadors who have been really, really good. But like when I think of like a Mysterio um, or a Ricochet are like two guys who really stand out who are like, you know how I don't understand how you, you contort your body like that and how you move your body like that. I, you see it a little bit with Leo Rush too, but um, it's, I guess another honorable mention who's only been there like a month or two. I went with Phoenix and I just, I love that he can have good matches with like a Kenny Omega too. And it, it just, he's, he's really, really talented. Excellent. Honestly, I kind of forgot about this category for the WWE. So I'm just going to default and say Ricochet. See all above five minutes ago for the most underrated. Um, 
he's excellent. Finishing move, he's the best finisher, like I said, with the 450 corkscrew, whatever he calls it. Other honorable mentions, Dominic, just kidding. Um, That's it, Ricochet, he's under pushed. <laughs> he's, he's great. Rossi, who you got? Love all the work that Blake Christian did um, on the indies before he went to WWE. Um, but then he went to WWE as Trey Baxter, and he never, I mean, he got a couple moments of shine, but I think now that he's back in the Indies, his profile's going up. He's actually wrestling Gresham at, at Gresham at Hammerstein Ballroom in a pure rules match. So he's going to kind of get to do some other things other than the high flying. But um, Alex Zane, um, what was his NXT name? Um, Jesus Christ. I can't think of it. Um, but he's he's been very, you know, he's been as good of a high flyer as there's been. I mean, he does some stupid stuff sometimes, but it always looks pretty good. You know, you would normally say Osprey, but he really toned this stuff down this year. He did more of like a Mappe style, and he doesn't really fit into this category anymore. So I'll keep it at Christian and Zane, and they're going to have big 2021s or 2022s in the Indies. Yeah, for sure. I don't remember his name, unfortunately. Uh, Taco Bell guy, maybe? Uh, Ari Sterling. Ari Sterling. Uh, yeah, Ari Gold. Nice. Can't wait. <laughs> Rossi, you yeah, man, that? I think that for us to really give the A that what we want to, we're better off. Yeah, just so um, we know what's coming with the A's, we don't. I don't want to go too long. So with the A's, we're gonna have Mike's five-minute MMA corner. We're gonna have feud of the year, match of the year, promo of the year, woman of the year, tag team of the year, most outstanding wrestler, and then wrestler of the year. So those, what, 10 categories will be on part B, and we'll give them their time due. But, uh, all right, everyone, we'll catch you in a minute or two. We'll see. We'll see when it comes out. Thank you, Mike Rossi, and thank you, Mike Eller, and we'll uh, see you guys soon. I have a mic in my hand. Without that, it's like kryptonite and Superman. So Shaheed come in with the sugar cuts. Spike talks my name, but on stage call me Dynamite. When was the last time you heard the fight for sloppy? Lyrics anonymous, you never hear me copy. Never coming less, guys the limit. You got to believe up in quest. Sit back, relax, get up off the path. If not that, here's a dance floor. Come move that ass. Non-believers, you can check the stats. I roll with Shahid and the brother abstract. Niggas know the time when quest is in the jam. I never let a statue tell me how nice I am. Coming with more hits than the Braves and the Yankees. Living mad fat like a oversized man. B. The whack is cool, try to diss, it makes me laugh. With my track record's longer than a DC-20 aircraft. So next time that you think you want something here, pick something different, take that garbage to say else. Yeah.